Come on, why don't we put our hands towards heaven right now? Wish you would raise your hands up towards the King of Glory. I want you to raise it up as an offering unto Him. Jesus, I give you my being today. I bless the name that is above every name. I magnify the glorious name of Jesus Christ. I offer you me today, God. Take my mind, take my heart, take my strength, take my praise. Lord, I'm worshiping you, God, not from just, not just from lip service on this day. Oh, no. I know who you are. I know what you've been to me. I glorify your great name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Praise the name of God. This worship team did so good. Amen. You guys are fantastic. The band was fantastic. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to allow you to be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for working with me. I know my voice hasn't been great. Not that you're familiar with how it sounds otherwise. But snore me a little better than this. Amen. I want to again extend my gratitude to say that, that I'm thankful for Caitlin is an understatement. Our paths connected years ago, and uh, she has been like a sister and an aunt to my kids. And we love her and appreciate her and her leadership. Thankful for this conference today. Thankful for David and Sheena. I know God used them mightily in the service today, in their session today, and of course for my wife. Amen. She is definitely the extra out of the two of us. I don't know if you've probably, uh, those of you that were in her class would, wouldn't take you long to figure that out. So, I honor her. My kids aren't here. I actually have a hyphen. My oldest is 19. He's in his second year. We're going into his second year at Urshan. Feels his call to the, to the ministry. Particularly feels a missional call. So, we'll have to see how that looks. It's a unique phase of life because I remember sitting where you're sitting. And I'm an Ohioan. If you did not know that, I grew up in Ohio cut my teeth on the campgrounds. I remember the tabernacle before AC. So there's the dating myself right there. Some of the greatest services of my life. God reaffirmed my ministerial calling. So if you were on the platform and you were looking back in the tabernacle, on the left-hand side, three-quarters of the way back, down on that concrete floor as it rises up, you know, it's got that rise, three quarters of the way back. I was 17, 
so not yet a hyphen, but 17. I knew that there was something inside of me, I just didn't know what it was, you know. And I knew that God had put his hand on my life, I just really didn't understand how. It's amazing because I, I shared a little bit about my story last night, and I'm not going to focus on me, the focus needs to be on him and what he's going to do through you, but it is amazing how God will orchestrate your steps in order to get you exactly where he needs to get you. And a lot of those times we do not, we don't appreciate those processes because they're painful and it seems like we're talking a lot about pain. It seems like we're talking a lot about process, but I think that's the day and hour we're living in. And I think we need to recognize that. We need to be all right with that. This is a dirty time in history, right? It's just dirty. It's just, it's cluttered. There's a lot of white noise. There's a lot of changes going on without my permission. Like, what right does the world have to change? I, I, I give you permission, right? And it's not like that. So we're raising our kids and we're, entering into the field of life and labor and talking to some of you here today. It's just such a weird time. It's such a unique hour that we're living in. So my story is I felt the call of God at 12. I knew there was something that I was supposed to be doing. And at 17 on the campgrounds, the Lord led me into an understanding. I was actually on the camp to be like an idiot for after service entertainment. And that's, that's what I was doing. This is back in the day now. This is, this is back in the day. And I was there to be like after service entertainment. And I was staying in, it was the old hotel then. I don't know what they've done with it now. It's probably nice. Back then, it's not. Well, you imagine it 20 years ago. So I'm there and the beds are taken because they crash early, the guys I'm staying with. So I'm on the floor. I'm on the floor. And I roll up a towel and use it as my pillow. And I have no blanket. It's like sub-zero temperatures. And the only thing that worked there was AC. And I woke up early and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I just changed up and I wasn't even involved in the service. It was a junior camp and Joel Urshan was preaching. And so I sat in the back, and man, did he ever more preach, and did he get a hold of me. And I, as selfish as I am, I'm pretty certain that service was designed for me, because that's pretty much how I roll. And I remember laying down on that floor and saying, I don't understand like what all this is about, and what life has, and what's the next phase of life. I don't, know, I don't understand it. But I just said one thing, if I'm supposed to be this way, then I'll do it. If I'm supposed to walk this way, then I'll walk it. And realize that that path would lead me to Oklahoma. I didn't, I didn't know that Oklahoma had electricity, you know. And I sure didn't think that I'd ever start a church, let alone two churches. And I, I never thought that I would be serving in the capacity or travel overseas and I never thought any of that. The only thing I knew is that the Lord said, I want you.
and I'm going to be very candid. We sing great songs, and I love these songs. And some of the older songs we sing, and we're reminded. And some of the verbiage in some of these songs, you probably have heard it before. And I'm not going to sing it. I don't got no voice. But if you can use anything, Lord. Remember that old song? Is anybody, does anybody even ever sing that song anymore? Good. That's a great song. So we start down the road of that song, and we say, take my hands, Lord. And then we, we use that word take, and we kind of slice it in half, take my feet. You know what I'm talking about. Take my heart, Lord. And we just keep going down the road. And he will. He will. But I think there's part of us that we have to take a step back and say, am I going to make him take it? What if I was willing to give it? I realize in essence, maybe that's what we're saying, but what if that was an attitude? What if he didn't have to take anything? What if he just asked and I gave anything that he asked for? I'm trying to live and get to a position and get to a place where the Lord doesn't have to take anything. That's what my goal is. Like, what is your New Year's resolution? Well, I'm going to bench 315 before the year's out. I'm at 235 now. It's not going to happen this year. But what's your real goal? I want him to have anything. I want him to have anything. And I'm telling you, if I can get to a position and a place where God doesn't ever take anything from me, because you can't take what I'm already willing to give. And I think Paul was at that position when he was able to say to live is Christ. That's where he was. To die is gain. You can't take anything from me because I've already given it to you. How many have heard the stories of the old missionaries? Have they traveling overseas and some of those countries where they traveled? Some of those islands are beautiful islands. Tahiti, Fiji, those South Pacific islands are just amazing islands. But there's cannibals there. It's like the beaches, cannibals, you know. The sights, but cannibals, I mean, it's an imbalance. And so they, you know, the 19, early 1900s, they, they, would, they would pack up and go and, and never return. And, and we all know what would take place on, a, on an island like that. But there were those that would pack up with the intention of never returning. And so what they would do to ensure is they would say their final goodbyes on the shore. They would leave the harbors of America and they would say goodbye. They would say farewell to their fathers and the mothers and their brothers and, and all those that would come, their companions. They would leave their, their lives at that harbor. And to ensure that they were never thinking about turning around and coming back, they would purchase their coffins and pack their belongings in their own coffins. And they would set sail. 
that's extreme, isn't it? We, the most extreme thing we may have to deal with is whether or not we're going to do two cane sauces instead of one, you know? That's like, do I want to spend a little bit more money? It's so good. But those were, those were the times. That's what they did. That's how they lived. But that's the attitude. And it's like, we don't compare ourselves to them because this is a different time and this is a different hour. And so it's not the actions that I feel like we need to really be concerned with, but really the attitude. And I need to check myself in a spiritual mirror and I, I need to be able to say, God, am I willing to give you everything? Am I willing, if you asked for that, could I give that to you? Not that God would even desire it, but the attitude would be, would I be willing to do that? Could I be willing to do that? And this generation right here, we said it last night, you probably heard it again today. This generation right here is chock full of everything necessary. God does not call any single one of us without standing already in our future, looking back, saying he's going to need that there, he's going to need that there, he's going to need that there, she's going to need that there, I'll be that. Which is the most awesome description of when Moses says, well, I'll go. Moses wasn't willing to, to give, God had to take. That sucker was not going. I ain't even lying to you. The dude was not going. He said, no, I ain't going. He said, oh, you're going. No, I'm not going. I can't even talk right. So Moses and I, well, you know, we're in the same boat right now, right? I can't even talk right. Got no voice. It's despicable. I got a really good voice, I promise you. It's a little nasally. It's a little northern. But it's got a little country in it now. So you're not going to get it. You have to find me online somewhere. Bump up our YouTube presence online, so go, go check it out. But Moses said, I'm, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not equipped. I can't go. And so God said, you're going. And so he says, well, if I go, who do I say sent me? It's almost like a trick question. Moses knew Jacob had poured into him, which is the reason why the writer of Hebrews would say he would rather choose not the pleasures of sin, no, he's choosing his own people. So Jacob had poured something into Moses. So Moses knew in this one God, this Yahweh, this Elohim that existed. So it's almost as if he said, I'll go, but tell me your name. They always be trying to find his name out in the Old Testament. You know that. Always trying to find his name. Tell me your name. What's your name? Bible says that one, one angel said, it's just too wonderful for you. You, you couldn't comprehend it. It's way too wonderful for you. So Moses says, well, you just tell me who sent me. And the Lord says, okay, tell him I am that I am. And it's like he's looking down and saying, I got you again. But what a description. Have we thought about that? I am that I am. What a description of the Almighty. That phrase right there is everything that they needed in order to get them through 
the failure to, to move into a promised land, the 40 years in the dusty wilderness, finally crossing over the Jordan, facing off with Jericho, getting destroyed by a small little AI all the way through. Moses said, you tell them I am that I am sent you. And we know very well that that term I am that I am is not restricted, but rather it's all-encompassing and can be interpreted, I will be what I will be. And so when we look at that term, I am that I am, why don't you put, I will be what I will be. And then you start evaluating your life and you start evaluating your opportunity and you start evaluating who you are and the God calling in your life. And we start saying things like, I can't do that. I can't start a church. I couldn't start a campus ministry. I couldn't, I can't even barely talk. Or let's let, we can make it more personal. I don't know if I could get over this broken relationship. Can I tell you that that's important to God? It's important to God. Oh, get over it. It's just a, you know, it's one of many. Just get over it. Just work through it. No, it's important to him. But we start throwing these, well, I don't think I'll ever, I can. I don't, I'll never be that. I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with my own shoes or, I, you know, whatever. And, and we have to evaluate whether or not God is able to be. Is he able to be? How many believe that? Is he able to be? I will be. And so we insert that into the equations of our life. I will be that for you. And I find comfort in that. Oh, it's so comforting to me. I need revelation. I can be revelation. Well, I've already been saved. The gospel's already been, I've already been baptized. No, I need revelation about me. I need revelation about my life. I need revelation about my future. I need revelation about my, my potential spouse. I need revelation about ministry. I need revelation about job. I need revelation about finance. I need revelation about what important decisions. I can be that. But the real question is, is do I give him an opportunity to be that? It's hard to give him an opportunity when we have Google. It's funny, but it's incredibly true. I heard my wife in there and talking about certain things, and if you were in her session, you don't even understand. She was understating the complaint level that she was at walking up to Angel's Landing. The complaint level was maximum. It takes a long time to get me worked up, but when you do, I'm like a train. You stand in front of it, and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna barrel right over you. And she was at that point where one more little additive of coal. But amongst the things I heard her talking about in there, we have to have this sense of understanding of how important it is to allow God this type of access in our life, in our hearts, 
There's going to be challenges and we're going to try to figure things out. We've got to try to navigate, you know, through all of these broken roads and relationships and everything else. And we understand that God has the opportunity and we understand that God is all powerful. We just don't understand why he hasn't operated those things in my life at this point. But nonetheless, but nonetheless, I don't know why I feel like this has nothing to do with my notes. I don't know why I'm even talking like this except for the fact that I can't get away from it. Can he be what he wants to be in your life? Would you let him be that in your life? We have to make a decision. We're at a crossroads in life. This is a major crossroad in life. This is why this weekend is so important and weekends like this and having these types of groups at our church and ministries in operation are so vital. We put a lot of emphasis on it now but 10 years ago, 15 years ago maybe, it was almost like once you graduated from the youth group, you said forgotten. Oh, you ain't married yet? Man, you're 20 and a half. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? This is a major... Millennials are bouncing. The generation is bouncing. They're growing up in church and they're moving up into adulthood out of church at an astronomical rate. It is downright frightening how many of our hyphens are moving on beyond the scope of the necessity for the Spirit of God into an, a realm of education. And I'm all for higher education. You need to pursue it. But in that pursuit, we can't forget. But in that pursuit, we can't, it's not a substitute. Moses said, you tell me what your name is. And the Lord would say, I'll tell you what my character will be. And that's got to be enough for you. My character will be, I will deliver how, when, to what extent I need to deliver. And for us, we can't be looking for the absolutes all the time. Sometimes we've got to give God the opportunity to be what he wants to be. And if he wants to be darkness, I use that term very loosely, by the way, silent, maybe that's a better way to put it, then let him be silent. If he wants to be revelation, then let him be revelation. But we need to let him be what he desires to be. Does that make sense? We've got to allow God to be and operate. I say this to the church today very, very often, but when I get my own universe, one of these days, I'll operate it the way I want. When I grab my own universe, when I, when I can throw the stars into the air as an afterthought, billions and billions of galaxies, billions and billions and billions of stars and planets per galaxy, it's unreal, and he made it all. So when I'm able to do that, I'm working on a plan right now, by the way. I've got a plan for that. But when I'm able to, to conjure that up, then I'll do that. But until then, is it enough for me to submit? Can I, can I tell you that the strongest man in the Bible was the weakest 
individual in the Bible. He had strength, but no submission. God's not just looking for a strong church. We preach about power. You shall receive power. The issue with Samson is he had the power. Just didn't have the submission. He carried gates to the top of the hills. He could rip a lion like it's a young goat. Who can rip a young goat, by the way? It's a terrible comparison. Who wrote that? Tour like a young goat. Who tears a young But it's, it's just nothing. Nothing for him. In fact, he doesn't even talk about it. 300 foxes, little jackals running around, ties their tails together, lights them on fire. It's unreal. Picks up the jawbone of a donkey, slays a thousand men, whatever. There's no submission in his life. I want a, a Philistine. But there's, there's plenty here. But that's what I want. His parents are right there, but Samson, no. But I want that. There's no submission in his life. He doesn't become submitted until he has no more power to govern himself. It took the rocks to get him to a place of submission. And I don't believe that the desire of God in our generation is. Is to get us to a point, oh no, God needs us together. God needs us strong. God needs this generation ready and equipped. And he has placed a lot of that already inside of you. Can I tell you what I saw in this altar last night? Was so refreshing. Not that there was people that were hurting or in pain or broken or needy. No, it was the fact that they were in reliance on the almighty hand of God. And when you stepped into this altar, you were seeking something last night. If you were here last night, there were things that were transpiring. There were things that were taking place. And I realized some things are a process. And I heard my wife talking about there are some things that are immediate and some things that are a process. But even a healing, even a healing, like it's not completely done yet. Can I, can I give you a testimony? Let me give you a testimony at camp this week. We have a gentleman that goes to our church. He's a licensed minister. Fell off a platform at his job, um, 15 feet maybe, fell right on his back, landed right on his back, and uh, destroyed two of his discs, had to have three major surgeries. He has not slept in a bed in three years, cannot sleep in a bed, so he sleeps in a recliner, and he's just terrible pain, walking with a cane, just, it's horrible. And at camp meeting this week at Oklahoma camp, I saw him dancing around. Oh, he was dancing. I mean, Cain's gone, left his cane at camp. It, it was phenomenal. He slept in a bed that night for the first time in three years. He helps me out with the global missions. And two days later, I said, man, Travis, how's your back doing? He said, back's good. There's some nerve feelings down my legs. I said, what'd you think about that, man? 
He said, well, I'm, I'm pulling back on all the meds and everything. I said, keep, keep doing it. Be, be wise, but just keep doing what you feel. And I said, Travis, let me remind you of something. If God wanted to completely miraculously touch you right now, he would have just done a creative miracle. But a lot of times, it's bit by bit. But here's the thing. The healing is complete. It's done. So what I'm saying is the wholeness is there already. It's just the time hasn't met that yet. The Bible gives us an understanding of that in the book of Ecclesiastes when the writer, and I'll, I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me, but the writer talks about that the two things that are necessary are time and judgment. That's process. We need time and we need process. And God governs both of those. He governs both of those. And it has to meet the right time. And it has to meet the right process. And often, when we pray, and what took place last night, and even today, and what I feel is going to take place here in just a couple of moments, the judgments of God are poured out before the timing is. But the writer goes on to say, it is misery for a man. Oh, and the reason why is because you know what God promised you. You know what God gave you. You know what he poured inside of you. But you told me that I would. But you told me that this is going to happen. But you told me. You promised me. And we say scriptures to encourage. The issue is, is that the timing hasn't come to pass yet. So it's just a timing issue. You get what I'm saying here? And so if God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into a place where I deliver you from this addiction, and that's a promise. Some of us just need to stop, by the way. There was a hyphen couple that got together, they got married, and a couple years into the marriage, they had a child, and, and they started coming to our church, and it was fantastic, and, and all of a sudden, from that, they started having marital issues, and I started talking to the gentleman, and, and I'm like, Alex, what is going on? What are you doing going on in your marriage? And, 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 and finally, his wife said, well, he can't stop looking at pornography. I said, Okay. I said, Alice, come on, we're, we're going to talk, we're going to pray, we're going to seek the face of God, and we did. And so finally, I mean, we're just dissecting this, and we're going to root causes, and, you know, back down to the history and of life and character and all, I mean, we're just, and I said, what do you look at it on? When the word are you looking at it on? Let's be frank, what, how do you view it? He's like, well, my phone. I'm like, not a computer? No, I don't have a computer. Not an iPad? I don't have an iPad. I said, so just your phone? He said, yeah. I said, well, get rid of it. Is it for work? No. I said, well, there's flip phones out there. Get a flip phone. If you can't control yourself, let's get some disciplines. He's like, it's, like, it's an iPhone 5. It's the latest model. Where you got like two square inches of screen there, bro. And you're going to lose your soul? What's what I check my Facebook? Get rid of Facebook. Well, we don't use Facebook anymore. That's for, you know, the older generation. We'll get rid of Instagram. Get rid of Snapchat, TikTok. What do you need to get rid of? So sometimes we just need to get rid of some of the elements there. Now, I know it doesn't take care of the condition of the heart, but we need to discipline ourselves. 
We need to put up some boundaries for ourselves. We need to learn how to stay within sight of these boundaries. Come on, I'm talking to some adults right now. I don't want to have that drive. I don't want to look. I don't want to. And I understand we don't want to do certain things. But until that want is dealt with, we cut the supply line off. Does that make sense? There is a timing issue with God. And it's during the season. I was wondering when I was going to tap in and feel it. And I feel it now. This is where I feel it. We're getting derailed because of the timing. We just haven't met the destination yet. We haven't got to the final stop and we're getting off the train. We're tired of the ride. This generation has been promised more than it seems like any generation prior to it. It's unreal. The meetings are better. The opportunity is better. I believe we got married without a cell phone. I didn't have a computer for the first probably 10 years of our marriage. Who needs a computer, right? We didn't have social media. We just talked to one another. Those were cool times where you just actually met and sat down and ate together. But as times went on, you just develop, just turn in and you just start. We've moved forward. You're able to reach all across the world in a, in a solitary moment. YouTube channels go everywhere. I recognize a lot of you just by social media or what I've seen on social media. Never met you in person, but I, I know you. I know who you are. We have an opportunity here. God has laid this thing out. He's even used the devices of, of wickedness in order to say, I'll use that as an opportunity. Listen, Rome, you build all the roads you want, and I'll allow all my gospel travel to go down those roads. They're paving the roads for Christianity. What? It's truth. God allowed the Roman government to modernize the world so that Christianity could really explode onto the scene. What do you think he's doing today? What do you think these opportunities are today? Self-entertainment? These are platforms for you. This generation has been given a treasure. And what we need to figure out is what God will be for us. We dealt with some pain last night. We dealt with some heartache last night. We dealt with some trials last night. And I realize some of you may have left and said, you know what, that was wonderful and I thank God for it. But I have not truly been able to work through that yet. And that's okay. But I believe that when God says, I've delivered you of something, that if I can discipline myself and sometimes it's all in the mind. And I can discipline myself and walk the road and stay the path and don't get off the track. The judgment of God, as the old writer said, is going to meet the timing of God. And although that in-between space is very miserable, loneliness is miserable. Pain is still pain. It may make us better, but it's still pain while we're enduring it. 
But I'm telling you, what I feel is that a lot of us, we're struggling because the judgment of God has been given, but the timing of God has not been met yet. You promised me that I would be, and you fill in the blank. But I'm not there, and I've been dealing with this. Can I tell you, that must have been the way that Joseph felt. Joseph is the favorite. And how does one go from being the favorite in his father's house to being forgotten in the prison cell? In a decade... Joseph is 100% different, and he is now a hyphen. And as a hyphen, he had dreams that God gave him prior, 17, 18 years old, and God has given him dreams, and God is saying, I'm going to make you uh, an individual that even your parents will bow to, even your brothers will bow to, and that is a place of influence. It's not just position, it's influence. And although he doesn't understand all of what it means, the dreams, they make perfect sense when you're standing on the backside looking. The wheat, oh, if Joseph would have known that the famine was coming. The wheat is more than just something that they dealt with on an agricultural daily basis. Oh no, the wheat had something in particular. The sun and the moon and the stars, which would have a, a dictation on how the famines would happen. This is something of significance. But Joseph, I've given you dreams and we have dreams, guys. I realize that. We have ambitions. I realize that. And some of those have been broken along the way. And we're questioning and we're wondering, when is this going to take place? And I would say that the pattern of your life may be very similar to the pattern of Joseph's life. And the difference between Joseph and some of us will be when we decide to get off the track. Because what I see is somebody that never got off the track. When he was in the pit, when he's getting carried away by the Midianites, when he's in Potiphar's house, this is not an easy thing. I know sometimes we dismiss things because they're thousands of years old and we've heard stories about them. We just dismiss them. We need something fresh and new. So think about it in a fresh way. Joseph has to learn a new culture. Well, how does that apply to me? Well, some of us have entered into new fields of study. There's new professors in our lives now. And they're saying new things. And they're challenging us in different ways. The world is ever-changing. That's a different culture every day. They're pushing things down your throat. What should we tolerate? What should we accept? What should we allow ourselves to say, well, you know what, what am I or who am I to be able to judge against that? And we're entering into a new phase, and we're going to have to learn how to operate in that new phase. He has to learn a different language, and some of us are having to step into places where it's not similar. It's not the same. They're not speaking the same way that I am. I don't understand the same way that they do. Some of us are beyond college now. We're in our careers. We're knee deep, working our way up the ladder, trying our best to succeed. And it's not the same. So Joseph has to learn a new culture in that 20s. Whew. It's a scary time. Remember the 20s, somewhat. And there were so many adjustments in the 20s. My first kid in the 20s. I'm way better of a parent now than I was then. Way better. My kids like me now. Uh, 20s were unique. 
early 30s. It's a unique time. It's a unique position in life. We're learning things now. We're trying to get into a groove now. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. That's what you're dealing with now. You're trying to get into a life groove. How and what and with church culture and, and family culture and relational culture. And, and whether you're in college, you got the culture there. Whether you're in your career, you got your culture there. And you're trying to learn. And, and Joseph elevates himself through hard work and discipline. He moves from being a Hebrew slave all the way up the ladder to being wanted. By the spouse of the house. Tell me something about that. That's Joseph right there. He goes from being in chains from the Midianites, being pulled in there, not understanding the language, all of a sudden to being the sole attraction of the spouse of the house. But the disappointing factor is, it's just seemingly one step back but the dream and the timing just needed to meet. And Joseph said, I'm not. I'm not getting off the track. Not for you. Joseph had to have thought that this is the final resting place for me. I have been purchased. I know who I am now. And because this is who I am, I am going to be the best who I am that I can be. He was there. That's the way life was. And Joseph didn't say, I cannot believe it. Uh, no, he said, I'm going to work myself up into such a place that he will give me access to anything and everything. And that's what Joseph said. I've got anything I want here. I will not touch you. I will not violate that because I have a God and I have a master and both of those entrust me. Yes. He won't get off the track. Hear it now. All the way and he's pushed back into the prison cell and in the prison cell, here's Joseph. I will not get off track. Every position of Joseph's life seemingly at that time and place would have seemed permanent. I'm permanently here. There is no escape from here. And if that is not an attitude in this place, oh my goodness gracious, I'll never leave here. I'll never move from here. I'll never get out of here. Seemingly, it's eternity. The broken relationship seems like eternity. When will it ever stop? When will I finally get a chance to be what God called me to be? It's eternity. The only thing Joseph could do is set his gaze at the highest position that he could reach at that point in time and say, I'm going to stay submitted underneath my direct authority and I'm going to work my fingers to the bone. And that's exactly what he did. The difference between the strong man and a man like Joseph was the fact that uh, Samson could not stay submitted and Joseph could not stay otherwise. My greatest asset in this position is submission to my authority. And I'm going to hold on to my dream. And how do you know he held on to your dream? Because he says, remember me. But you're permanently, just remember me. Please remember me when you get on out. When this thing comes to pass, remember me. 
And we can talk about the two-year period where he didn't remember, but I tell you, he remembered when the need was right. And God had orchestrated the timing. Joseph can't rise before God has set everything in its place. Can I tell somebody that one more time? Joseph can't rise until God ordains everything where it needs to be. So we need to understand something, especially now. He's not just working on you. It's not just a timing issue with you. Not everything is just waiting and depending on you or on me. He's got to work everything else out. He works everything out. And then when the time's right, the two meet. So I'm here to tell you today. Different approach than what I was going to preach to you. But God is wanting you to hold on to the promise that he gave you. God's wanting you to hold on to the ministry that he put deep inside of you. And don't allow life. Paul talked about it. Neither life nor death. We, we aim at principalities. We aim at spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are tangible things, but life. And it's life that often gets in the way. It's life that often calluses us. It's life that often makes us get off track. And he doesn't need to just derail. No, just get him a degree off today. And by 30 days in, they'll be way off course. By 60 days in, they won't even understand or see. The Lord wants us to do one thing today. Here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to go back. He wants us to go back to the time of the promise. I don't have time to speak to you about the journey of Elijah and Elisha. There are four places that Elisha had to work through. Every stop, the same statement was made by Elijah. And that statement was what? Stay here. And every time the statement was made, the reaction of that from his predecessor was, No, no, no. Where you go, I'm going. <laughs> Where you go, I'm going. Why? Because I want that double anointing. Why? Because I want that firstborn blessing. Why? You're not going to move me. I want you to study out the four places, what they mean and how they would apply to your life in the 21st century. But we have got to get to a place of Gilgal. We've got to get to a place of Bethel. We've got to get to a place of Jericho. And God will take us to a place of Jordan. And each step is very significant so that I can get the double portion of the Spirit of God. And what I'm saying is, is I know what I want. And I know what God's promised me. And I know what I'm striving for. And I know what's out there. And I know what's been preached and what's been said. And I want it all. I want everything. I want every promise that the Lord has put in my favor. I want it all. Yes. We should start asking the same questions that David asked. What's going to be done if I go down there on that field? Why aren't we asking questions like that? Guys, why aren't we asking questions like that? What's going to be done for me? What's going to be done to me? When I step down on that battlefield and I face off on that giant, and I'm going to knock him down. Oh, I'm going to knock him down. David was not the underdog. <laughs> when you can hit a man from 100 feet or whatever the distance was with a stone that would react about the same intensity as a 45 caliber shot right to the head. Come on now. He was not an underdog. He never saw himself as an underdog. Can I say that one more time? 
David never saw himself as an underdog. What David, all he was concerned about, he wasn't concerned about the giant. He told Saul that. The only thing he's concerned about is what's going to be done for me. Well, that's selfish. I wish that would be an ambition that this generation had. What's going to take place when I step out there on that battlefield? How is this going to change me? That's basically what he was asking. How is this going to redirect my life? How is this going to alter the course of my life? From that point, David would go from his father's house to the tent of Saul when necessary. Back and forth and back and forth. And David knew that when I step out on this battlefield on this day, I will never be going back to my father's house. My future is forever changed. It's forever changed. And that ought to be an attitude that we have in this, in this day and hour. What will be forever changed when I step into this dimension? Guys, I realize it's sometimes difficult, but we, we've got to get into a place. We've got to get into a position that we say, I'm willing to let you be what you want to be for me. Joseph would have never, looking forward in his life, he would have never said, I want to be in the pit. I want to be sold. I want to look over my shoulder and see my brethren laughing because that's what they were doing. I want to be in Potiphar's house. I definitely want to be in the prison. He would never have said that. But as he stood there looking back, he never would have said, I wish I didn't go in the pit. I wish I wasn't sold into slavery. I wish I never would have got to Potiphar's house. I wish I would have never spent those years in the prison. Oh no. Perspective changes when you're standing on this side looking back. That's why you've got to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding because when you're looking that way, it's like, oh dear God. But when you're looking back, you're saying, thank you, God. The perspective changes as we, but what we've got to learn at this point in time, at this point in time, when we're aiming at our future is to say, God, I'm going to make the best, absolute best out of where I am now. I don't have to be married to feel complete in you. I don't have to have a completeness in all of my ministry. I don't have to have a completeness in all of my finances. I don't have to have a completeness on my job, in my career. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to be submitted. I'm going to lean on the promises and wait for the time. Just stand with me today. I wish that's what we would do is lean on the promises. Jesus, I need right now. I need you to come down and communicate. I need you to come down and bless. Put your arms. Those nail-scarred hands, wrap them around this body. Oh, there's not a lack of promise. There's so much promise in this house. Wow. I could see it on the face of these hyphens, these leaders. You have promised. Some of those are still waiting in the balance. Some of those just have not been stepped into yet. And along the way, life, oh, life. Jesus, it has... 
has such a way of getting in the way. The coarseness of life, the white noise of life, the ambition, sometimes the jealousy of life, sometimes, Lord, it's the brokenness of life, sometimes it's the isolation of life, sometimes it's the greatness of life. But it gets in the way. And the promises keep getting pushed down further and further until they're almost forgotten, never, ever pushed for, never sought for. I'm asking you, Jesus, right here. Came out of a difficult season. We're here. We had a wonderful night last night, but we're here. We need the word of the Lord to meet the timing of God. And so right now we're here. The misery is heavy upon us, but we're here. Some of us are in the pit. And we're here. Some of us are at Potiphar's location, but we're here. Some of us are in a prison cell, whether it's in mental, spiritual, financial, but we're here. We're here right now. So until your time, until this flower blooms and the fruit are, is revealed, we're here and we're going to stay faithful. I want to open this altar right now for those of you that want to come. And be reminded. You want to be reminded of the promise. You want God to put that in the forefront of your spirit once again. Lord, we're here as a congregation. Remind us. How amazing is it, Lord, that Joseph... Joseph says, remember me. Maybe that's the cry of the moment. Remember me. You gave me a promise. Remember me. You put it in my spirit. It hasn't come to pass yet, but remember me. Come on, hyphen. Come on, leaders. Find somebody. Wrap your arms around them. Let's remember together. Remember when I stayed faithful in the pit. Remember when I stayed faithful at Potiphar's house. Remember the invitation of the enemy that I said, no, I can never walk away. Remember, God, that I'm here in this mental state. Remember me, Lord, because I know that there is a promise. Oh, there is a promise. Guys, we can't get off the track because the promise, the promise, the promise. Come on, the Lord's ministering in this house right now. Find somebody. Find somebody to minister to. Find somebody to minister with. In the name of Jesus.